Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the April 24, 2022 session, focusing on Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, a timely word of hope. I'm David Cassidy. I'm David Adams. I'm Bert Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. Do you remember in uh, 101 Dalmatians where, like, I'm talking about the original, uh, where they, um, the guy's a video game developer and part of the plot line is he's trying to find a villain for the, for the game. Y'all don't remember that, do you? Mm-hmm. So, well, it's there. Anyway. Video <laughs> <laughs> games didn't exist back then. Of course, he found the villain and when he met Cruella DeVille, right? But anyway, so I'm curious. It, I mean, it's a common theme in movies that we watch and books that we read that there is a villain that seems to embody evil that just takes on and becomes the sense of evil. So I'm curious for you, what, what movie villain comes to mind that is particularly evil? Hannibal Lecter from Ah, Silence of the Lambs. It's, it's that he is so perfectly controlled and calm and cool throughout the whole movie, no matter how evil he is being. Why does that one rise to the top? I mean, it's just, his, I don't know if he if he if he emoted about it, it would feel less. Maybe evil. so. I mean, when when you know when the evil monsters get terrified or when they scream or yell or back off and be cool, but there's there's absolutely no emotion except total calmness, yeah, and control. Clarice, is that because it kind of communicates intentionality? Yes, yes. He is above and beyond emotion and. Conscience. For himself or for anyone else either. I mean, he is, yeah. he can't be distracted from it. Other monsters you can distract. Yeah. Well, I started with, we had this conversation of the villain from the movie Seven, because that movie really messed with me. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, you know, to really be a good movie villain, you have to be someone who you can look at and just say they're irredeemably evil. You want to see something bad happen to them because they're so bad. And there was a movie that I can't remember the name of. I remember the plot. There's a woman in a movie who was taking advantage of senior citizens and putting them in old in homes and then confiscating all their property through the courts. Ooh. And, and she was just stealing these people and locking them up in homes where they eventually died because they didn't get good care. And they were so depressed and their life was just demo- destroyed by this Ooh. woman who got guardianship over their estates and took everything they owned. Uh, mm. As the movie goes along, she ends up doing this to somebody who's the mother of a, of a Russian mobster. Oh. <laughs> and he decides he's going to get something back. And by, yeah. by the end of the movie, they, they've joined forces with each other because he finally found someone more evil than he was. Mm. And I just spent the whole movie just, oh, I so wanted to see some comeuppance from this person who does this. And the thought that there may be people like this out there. Well, apparently I don't watch as many obscure movies as David Adams or scary movies as Burt because I don't know what this says about me, but the first person that came to my mind was Biff from Back to the Future. (laughs) So, I don't know. He is a bad guy. I was going to say, does he count as a villain? Yes. Okay, then I'll I'll go with, I hate that guy. (laughs) He's such a bully. He is. He's awful. That's that's the best I've got. Okay. <laughs> so this isn't a movie villain, but whoever invented Peeps, you know, since it, we're yep. near Easter, 
um, mm. you know, whoever invented those, that's a special kind of evil. But no, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> the movie, it's one of the Batman movies where Keith Ledger plays the Joker. Yes. The Dark Knight. Yes. The Dark Knight. And he is just so yes. intentionally and deviously destructive. Mm. Um, mm. And he's not only happy to be evil and do evil acts himself, he brings out the evil in others. And he's, you know, he's so convinced that all of us at the base are evil. Yes. And if just given the right circumstance, we will join him. All it takes is a little push. push. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I show that movie to my religion class, or at least the last 30 minutes to my religion yeah. class every single semester. Well, and if you teach ethics, it's got all these incredible dilemmas in it that are yeah. also fun to use. So, yeah. Well, um, our world also has real evil villains in it. Uh, and, you know, wow, we don't often go to the book of Revelation in Faith Element, but here we are. And so Daniel is going to help us get started. Yes, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> David Cassidy, can you believe that it's been seven years since you've asked me to join this podcast experiment? No way. April of 2015, if I'm not mistaken. Holy cow. Man, yeah. time flies when you're having fun. I, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so it, it has it has flown, but I've loved every minute of it. I, I treasure this weekly time with David, Bert, Nikki, Crystal, and David, too. Um, and despite my love for our podcast community, because of vacation or pastoral duties, I've never earned my perfect attendance pen. <laughs> I, I, we all have to miss an episode every now and again, like I did last time. But even still, I estimate that I've been present for approximately 300 episodes. Wow. Half of those 300, I've led this Bible background introduction time. Now, in those 150 Bible backgrounds, Listeners, you will recall that I have admitted on several occasions that I do not have a firm grasp on a particular passage that we may be studying. See, I'm, I'm not a biblical expert. I'm not a scholar. My pastoral responsibilities, frankly, do not afford me, afford me the luxury of spending half my time in the library or in my study. Now, I have had the benefit of a great theological education, and I'm so grateful for it. But a good portion of what I know about the Bible comes from studying it alongside folks in community, in Sunday school, and in worship. So let me ag admit to you once again, dear listeners, that I do not understand what is going on in this passage from Revelation we're studying today. In fact, I don't understand most of Revelation. One day as I was finishing seminary, a pastor from several counties away called the seminary looking for a graduating student to do some guest teaching. The school gave him my name. When he called me, he said, young man, I need your help. I'm going through revelations with my church, and there's all this imagery and symbolism and strange language. <laughs> And I have just about every part of it figured out, but there's just one thing I haven't quite squared away. Can you help me? I said, sir, you're miles ahead of me. You go on right without me. <laughs> Not much has changed in the 20 years since I received that call. I still don't know what's going on in Revelation. 
The language is strange. It's more than a bit scary, to be honest. That Left Behind series, in my opinion, has not helped at all. For that book series, I think, was more about turning beloved scripture into a cash cow than it was about illuminating revelation. Amen. Perhaps, yeah, but perhaps one of the reasons I find this book so confusing is because I am not Revelation's intended audience. John, the author of the book, wrote to seven churches in Asia, after all. These seven churches, though different, had something in common. They were all poor, on the margin, persecuted by the imperial leaders in Rome for their Christian faith. None of those things are part of my daily existence, so perhaps that's where some of the confusion lies. Another reason is that apocalyptic literature takes a certain set of eyes to read. Wes Daniels puts it this way, Revelation is not a book of prophecy, but it is a prophetic book from Jesus through John, speaking as all biblical prophets do, against superpowers that oppress the most vulnerable and seek to take the place of God. In other words, John writes to poor and vulnerable people, ensuring them that in the midst of their feeling crushed, God has not forgotten about them. John is in exile on the island of Patmos, which has been described as a sort of Roman Alcatraz, an island for prisoners of the Roman Empire. We do not know for sure what John's supposed crime was, but I suspect it was for writing stuff like this, strong critiques of the Roman Empire. And in these opening verses, it appears John is asking readers to remember the person of Jesus Christ and in their time of persecution to stay faithful in following and emulating Jesus. That is, just like the one who preached good news to the poor and released to the captives, and also was crushed by the Roman authorities. Yet Christ is, this is verse 5, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. That is, take heart. God has not retired or been asleep on the job. God is still God, and God cares for you. So, while we may not be the original intended audience for this scriptural book, it is the Word of God for us today. So, what are we to glean, to learn, to do? Well, while I don't know much about Revelation, this I do know. Revelation is not so much about fear and anxiety and the rapture at the end of the time, and is more about the promise of a God who will never leave us, never forsake us, even or perhaps especially for those among us who are desperate to hear a good word of hope for the Lord. And that's a little background on our text for today. Thank you for that background, Daniel. I'm, I'm hearing you say this, and even as you're saying those words, I'm reminded of preaching these days and what we go through. Because it seems like every time you're in front of a congregation and you're talking about things to pray for, 
or you're talking about situations people live through, every single person hearing your voice has massive things hovering over their head in the background, whether it's in their personal life mm-hmm. or they've seen the news, you know, they, they're afraid for something. It just seems like we are carrying a massive weight of uncertainty here. Like there's something to be afraid of. There, there really are villains out there that are coming to get us. And we just need to know that God cares about us again. So I appreciate you pointing out that, hey, there are words of comfort in there that are specific to mm-hmm. people who are being oppressed at times. And I also appreciate you pointing out um, what Revelation, well, you said kindly probably is not or not so much. Uh, and I think you were being kind. I think it's not an escapist literature. Um, yes. That, that this is not a hang on, Jesus is going to come and destroy everything and take us all away. Um, but rather, it is stories told. Uh, very, very metaphorically about empires rising, empires falling, about those in power with limitless greed and lust and oppression and violence, and that God is still on the move in the midst of it all through us and with us, and that there is hope that that these things will not have the last word here Mm. and now on this earth. Um, And that's powerful stuff. Yeah, not not to... I mean, this this comment is going to reveal how little I know about this this book or, or truly understand it. But for me, Revelation is a very strong. I was about to say a, a strong indication, but it's stronger than that. It's it's a it's an assurance. It's a promise that 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 despite the experiences that one has on Earth, one day God's going to set it right. Yes, and all, all through this conversation and really through the book i think that i get the words the song show the way or the david wilcox classic mm-hmm. in the back of my head because that kind of sums this up when he's talking about how there's always going to be some crazy person with an army and a knife that's putting fear into your life but it talks about in the long run you know, love's going to win out if you're just showing the way and I think that's what Revelation is trying to get to. And it's interesting that he hits the ground running by talking about those seven churches and what they're going through and the the fact that this is all not being done for nothing. It it all matters. And he's going to say throughout the book, whoever has an ear, let him listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. But for now, he's just getting started. Just get that immediate burst of a good word in the middle of a time when all they have is bad words. I always think, obviously, of the Harry Potter stories, but also, obviously, of the Lord of the Rings Hobbit stories. And there's a great, great scene uh, in which the world is falling apart and evil and darkness is on the move and Saruman is, is gathering his forces and all that stuff. And Frodo is just overwhelmed at the death and destruction of everything that's going on. And he himself has been taken away from his beloved Shire, the safety and beauty of his beloved Shire. And he says so despairingly, I wish this need not happen in my time, Frodo says. And again, the people of Revelation, the, the target audience from the scholars, and I'm like you, Daniel, I'm not one of the scholars, but the target audience says these are people living with great despair. Yeah. And Gandalf says, so do I. So do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. 
All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. All we have to do is to decide what to do with the time that is given to us. And my understandings of Revelation, the more I read, the more scholarly approaches and things I understand, is that's the whole purpose of Revelation, is to help us know what to do with this time that we are in, that mm. we can still be faithful, we can still be loving, we can still be just. We can yeah. still live in the way of Christ. Mm. It, yeah, and, and in that respect, Revelation strikes me as similar to Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail, in that it's perhaps a word of hope for those who are trying to stay faithful in resisting the evil, resisting the empire. And it's a harsh word for those of us who side with the empire, side with the crusher over the crushed. So so much of Scripture, and certainly Revelation is like this way, it depends on where you stand, where you choose to stand, how, how you read and how it reads you. Now, I I really, I think you're absolutely right. And and when you talk about where we choose to stand, I mean, often it's not like, oh, I choose to stand against my black brothers and sisters. Nobody, I mean, very few people say that, right? But right. when I refuse to hear the cries of injustice, when I refuse to hear the stories of oppression, when I refuse to recognize that there are systems in place that perpetuate this, that's when I'm siding with them. And I, and I really do think that for, for many folks like me, white, white folk raised in the white church, that when, when we hear our black brothers and sisters talk about these things, and when we hear a call to change in order to make things better, it's almost like reading Revelation. It doesn't make sense. We don't get it because it's not, we, don't, we haven't lived that. I'm going to ask a question. It's been a while since I've studied and heard really a lot of scholars talk about this. But the the end times theology, the rapture, yeah, isn't that a distinctly American creation that arose within the last 200 years? Have y'all always have y'all heard that? Do you mean dispensationalism? Yes. I'd agree with that. Although yeah, there I, have I been other end times <clears throat> There's other end time stuff, but but right. reading Revelation and getting into dispensationalism and rapture theology is roughly an American creation from the last within the last two hundred years. It, it, yeah, I, I have heard that. Now I, I don't know whether it's an, an invention, but it is certainly distinctive within American evangelicalism. Yes. Yeah. So let's 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 take that apart for a moment. What was yeah. happening two hundred years ago in this country and with Christianity? Christians were fighting amongst each other over the ethics and morality of buying and selling darker-skinned children of God, right? And so for those of us who benefit from it, we can remove any earthly responsibility of power. This is what you were saying, David. Yes, um, yes. From us, that this is all about getting into heaven and this don't focus on the things of this earth because this earth is going to be destroyed anyway. And what you need to focus on is God's going to come back and take you away, right? Yes. Um, or Jesus is going to come back and take you away from it. That's what matters. And all of this scripture is not about that at all, but about <laughs> those of us who stayed. So again, being on the side of the oppressed, this would be 
powerful imagery if we could change the imagery to things that reflected African imagery for African people enslaved here. Man, the hope that God is still on your side and this power will not prevail on this earth. Wow. And so I think what we are saying is it's well worth rereading the book of Revelation, but but making sure you do so with the attitude of the if, as much as we can, it's hard, but to of someone who has lost so much, who has been shut out of systems, who has been who have been prevented from moving forward in life, um, who have been tortured and who have suffered, to read it with that attitude instead of the attitude like Bert was saying of, you know. Oh, this is all about the next life and about leaving this place and about individually me and me being rescued. Mm. Instead, it's about us and the world being set right. That That's a different way of reading it. And I, I agree that it, that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. And that would fit in well with the notion that comes at the end of this book about there being a new heaven, and a yes. new earth, where things are rebuilt in the correct way as opposed to the way mm. it is. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's not so much escapism as yes. it is st- standing alongside those who need that. It, it, using a hot word of the moment in, in Christian circles. So basically, Revelation is going to saying that the God is going to reconstru- deconstruct and reconstruct, right? <laughs> yeah. God is going to set things right. Well, you have to point out that in this passage we're looking at today even, there is a little aside in there that sounds very much like the Psalms. You know, where God's going to get them because they've been bad people and now it's going to set things right by me. It's in here where it says, even those who pierced him on account of, on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. You know, even, even then, even at the very beginning of the book, we're being offered this idea that there's going to be some recompense. That mm-hmm. bad things are going to be brought to those people to whom bad things should happen. Well, you know, and on the same, Jesus says this throughout the people in power are getting their reward right now. I mean, this is what they're living for, yeah. right? Yeah. They already get their rewards. I'm going to come and set the rewards for those who are who are being left out. Mm-hmm. Their power is their reward. And, and maybe that's what this wailing is about, not an yeah. act of punishment, but I expected to get something and I didn't get it. Yeah. So, somebody else got something. Well, and we see equality as a punishment, don't we? Or a threat yes. to us. Yes. As if... Somebody else having equal access to me means that it's being taken away from me, even though it's not. But that's how we see it, isn't it? Yes. That, that's, it what would be a punishment. As, that's what I refer to as the bad news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so we see the, and we hear the enthusiasm in verse 7 of chapter 1, right? Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's the attitude. Yeah. That- now, I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to get too out of context here because I'm, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not a biblical Greek scholar. Um, <laughs> and, and apologies to my biblical Greek professor, uh, Dalen Jackson, but I'm not a scholar. And and I don't know the translation stuff that went on with the New Revised Standard and how the other versions translate whale. But in my context, whaling is a good thing. 
in rock mm-hmm. and roll, man, when you're wailing, <laughs> everything's going great. So you're going to say everybody's going to be in on this. This is great. <laughs> I'm still thinking more of the uh, cries of a spoiled child who didn't get the present they wanted or didn't get as much of something as they wanted. Well, I couldn't help but, as we were talking about this, recall an experience I had a few years ago that I will not forget. Um, And I still kind of get chill bumps thinking about it. Uh, And I'm terrible with years because I've completely lost track of time. But uh, on the the 400th anniversary of of, uh, the first slave setting foot on uh, American soil, there was an event held to recognize that called the Angela Project. Mm -hmm. 2019. Thank you. Thank you. 2019. And we had, you know, we had lots of events uh, that were designed to recognize that event and all that has come since then, good and bad, and the work that lies ahead. And of course, as you know, uh, that period of time, including the time we're in now, is still a time where racial conversations are incredibly hard. And churches continue to be among the most segregated places on Sunday mornings mm-hmm. in, in the country. And yet, the hopefulness, the belief that God is going to and is working to set things right, to make things right, is palpable within the black church community. I am ever struck by it when I, when I am in a service. Well, during this service... We had the preaching, we had the readings, we had, you know, all the speeches, the music. And then we rise at the end to sing the national anthem, the black national anthem. Let every voice, lift every voice and sing. And I still have chill bumps because we all held hands, we linked arms, and we sang. And if you haven't heard the words, they're very similar to the tone of Revelation. This, this is part of it. It says, lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory won. And he goes, another verse is this, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way, thou who hast by thy might led us into the light, Keep us forever in the path, we pray, lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. That's that's perhaps how we should hear Revelation as well. May we join in the work of newness that comes after resurrection and be part of God's work in setting this world right even now. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you.
Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.